Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos, and if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you so much. Like and subscribe. We're going to get started in about 30 seconds, but first we have to hear from our presenting sponsor. It's BetOnline.ag, and look, it's that time of year as college basketball takes center stage with the tournament finally upon us. And if you're looking to wager this year, BetOnline, it's the number one spot for all your updated odds and info, along with great contests, including the bracket contest where you have a chance to take home the top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today, receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit just use promo code believe b-l-e-a-v to get started bet online it's your continued source for all your sports wagering needs including live betting and your favorite vegas casino games bet online where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming to the pod super excited to have this guest back and you know we've been talking about it for a little while and the timing i think is just chef's kiss to bring him back onto the pod uh he's sports talk chicago's john zagul uh, just a graduated man here, the man who wears many hats, the man who has many guests, but he's even a better host. John, welcome back to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Joy. What a great intro. It's the best intro anyone's ever said about me. I really appreciate it. And it's great to be back with all this stuff going on. I know you sent me the uh, rundown over here. I'm looking at it. Can't believe all this news is happening in sports right now. I can't wait to break it all down, especially from the Chicago perspective. There's a lot going on. It's been a crazy week, and uh, it's great to have you back on the pod, man. I love your perspective, so you definitely deserve a red carpet treatment every time you come back, so I'm more than happy to do that. And let's just dive right in. Um, For those that don't follow John, you should after you listen to this podcast, but this has been something that I feel like when I envision him on Twitter, he has a a sword out, and he's dueling with people on Twitter (laughs) all the time, and it has come to fruition. Let's talk about Mitch, baby. Let's talk about Trubisky. All the good things, all the bad things, that may be. He signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Two-year deal, $14.75 million with incentives that can lead up to $27 million. Um, John, I don't know if you remember, if you're aware. My wife is a Steelers fan. So whether we like it or not, our marriage is not only bonded by love for eternity, but we're also bonded by the Mitch Trubisky story and journey. If you can, catch up our audience a little bit um, of what your stance is on Mitch Trubisky and your reaction to the news that he'll be on the Steelers next year. That is the most heartwarming marriage I could think of. When you talk about marriage bond by Mitch Trubisky, I mean, wow, I have a whole different respect for you, Joey, after you told me that. But <laughs> let's talk about the move itself. Um, I think it's a great move for all, all parties involved. First of all, I think Mitch Trubisky is a competent NFL quarterback, 15th to 20th best in the NFL if he has the right pieces around him. I think here in Chicago, and there have been reports about this, mainstream reports and other kind of rumored sort of reports that talk about Matt Nagy sabotaging Mitch Trubisky, blowing him off after the 2020 season, um, essentially running him out of town. And this is real stuff. This is not even a conspiracy or anything like that. These were real reports. So it's obvious that when he was here in Chicago, he was scapegoated for a lot of the problems that Matt Nagy's offense itself had. And now when we sit here today and we see Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace both get fired, you have to wonder, okay, who's really to blame? Was it really Mitch Trubisky after what everybody said? Or was it more so Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace who potentially hindered his development? At the same time, when we saw Trubisky play in 2018, I was pretty happy with his performance. Uh, 95.4 passer rating, um, I believe 23 touchdowns, uh, 14 picks or 12 picks. It, it was a very good season uh, on, on his part. The Bears went 12-4, and four, and I still believe to this day they could have been a Super Bowl winner at that point if it wasn't for the missed kick. So Mitch Krabisky, I think, had a very good time here in Chicago. Highest-rated passer in Bears history. There are a lot of things to suggest that he was not as bad a quarterback as not only the media painted, but also as Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace kind of said when, you know, at the end of 2020, they said, we need better play out of the quarterback position. And I, I posted a video the other day. I memorized that quote. And I always keep it in the back of my head because it's ridiculous for you to say this guy's the highest rated passer in Bears history. He has a 29 and 21 record in Chicago. Oh, yeah, but we need better play out of the quarterback position. Well, he's done a lot for you. So I think right now this is a great move for Pittsburgh. Number one, He's going to pair up with Mike Tomlin. They have a great run game. Najee Harris, they have good wide receiving weapons. This is a very good spot for Mitch to thrive. Uh, At the moment, there's really no competition. They may draft somebody. If they do, there's going to be a mini competition. But as of right now, even Adam Schefter said he's the apparent starting quarterback. He's going to get the shot. Even if they draft somebody that's a weak quarterback class, he will start game one no matter what for Pittsburgh. I don't know how long he's going to last. I would hope the whole year. Um, I think the contract structure is also good in the sense that if it works out, Mitch is making $27 million. It's only two years. If he kills it and two years, you're hitting free agency at, you know, 28, 29 years old, you can get a big payday. 
On the other hand, if it doesn't work, well, if you're Pittsburgh, you lose about, what, $14 million? That's not a big deal considering that right now you're only options Mason Rudolph. And Dwayne Haskins, sorry. Who cares? I mean, those two suck. I'd rather have Mitchell Trubisky no matter what. Whatever your feelings are, Mitchell Trubisky, you cannot tell me that Dwayne Haskins or Mason Rudolph are better choices. And and on its face, right, you'd rather have Mitch right now than Ben Roethlisberger of last year. Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, I watched all those games. I mean, the guy was just a, a shell of his former self. He couldn't get the ball down the field further than six yards. And, you know, I want to drill in on what something that you just said, where isn't it I find it exciting that beyond just for us analysts and us fans, we actually get to figure out the answer to this unanswerable question that Bears fans have gone through forever. Was it Mitch? Was it Nagy? Was it both of them? And if it was, how do we divvy up the pie? Well, we're about to find out, right? You know, Matt Nagy goes back to where he came from with the Chiefs. Ryan Pace goes back to where he came from with the Falcons. Mitch gets a new start in a great organization with, you just said, great running back a solid on-the-come tight end like Fryermuth, who's similar to a Trey Burton style, which is when Mitch thrived the last time, and a really strong receiving core. I think we're going to finally get the answer to this question of, you know, if we're going to tip the scales or we're going to point the finger at Matt Nagy or Trubisky, I think we're going to find out. I fully agree. And, you know, I don't expect Mitch to necessarily ball out. I expect 2018 production, to be honest. And that's what I've told a lot of people already. I'm not expecting him to throw for 4,000 yards and 40 touchdowns and have everybody tell me, oh, you know, you've been wrong the whole time. No, I think we're going to get back to 2018 production, which is 25 touchdowns, 10, 11 picks, maybe 3,500 yards. And you know what? That's not horrible play. There are definitely worse players in the NFL who not only got a start last year, but started for teams. I, I mentioned this the other day in my video. The Panthers quarterback room is way worse than what Mitch Trubisky is. I mean, last year, you think about a Cam Newton, P.J. Walker, and Sam Darnold. I'd rather take Mitch over all of them. There are worse <laughs> quarterbacks in the NFL, and there are worse quarterback rooms in the NFL than Mitch Trubisky. I think next year in Pittsburgh, you have some weapons. You have a different um, you know, scenario, different landscape. I think he could probably replicate 2018, if not build off it a little bit. And to me, that's a success. Everybody has a different idea of what success is. To me, if they go 10-7, and seven, make the wild card. If they can match what they did last year with Big Ben on his last legs, that should be the expectation. If anything goes higher than that, that's a big win for Matt. Yeah, and they're getting a great guy. I mean, everyone's been saying it, but Mitch is a great guy. He's a great teammate. Teammates love him. He's a leader. That's going to help a lot, especially in Pittsburgh. And even to your 2018 point, what if it's just that five-game stretch last year? Remember that five-game stretch where, in my personal opinion, what happened was Look, I'm a Mitch supporter. I believe Mitch has flaws, so I'm in agreement with you. I don't think he's going to come in and, and light it up all of a sudden, but neither would Jimmy G if he came into the same situation. And we're trying to pick and parcel and make them two different quarterbacks. It's not that different for me, Jimmy G to Mitch. It's not that far of a drop-off. And look what happened last year was I think Nagy was looking for an excuse to bench Mitch immediately. And I got the opportunity. I was watching the All-22, and there were some plays early on in that Falcons game where – Mitch missed some open guys, and he checked it down instead. But then when that interception came in the second half, Nagy was like, this is it. This is my opportunity. But, but John, when they brought him back, remember what they did, right? They ran the ball. They rolled him out. They accentuated what Mitch was good at. And then that five-game stretch, I'm pretty, I think he averaged 250 passing yards a game, had nine total touchdowns. We scored 30 points a game. They ran the ball a ton, and that's how we got ourselves into the playoffs. I mean, I think that's... I think that's the version that Pittsburgh can really get. And I'm saying, I'm trying to tell these Steelers fans is that he could just be, it could basically be the Big Ben offense of last year, but with Mitch's athleticism, right? And that might be the difference and might, that might be the improvement. And I think maybe Bears fans and NFL fans might be surprised when they see that with the Steelers. Yeah, I fully agree with that assessment. Um, you know, knowing that Mitch is younger, um, he's more agile, he's more mobile in the pocket. I mean, even Mitch could tuck and run it, too. I mean, he had, I think it was 300, 400 rushing yards that same year in 2018. So he's not just some pocket presence. Uh, Mike, way less than Big Ben, but guess what? He has a better arm. Uh, Big Ben averaged only 6.2 yards per pass last year. That was a career low, and that was an NFL low, not just a career low. It was horrible. Um, if you could have Mitch just throw the ball even nine or 10 yards per pass, that's already going to revolutionize your offensive attack. And as we've seen time and time again in the past, he doesn't do it often because it wasn't called a lot. But when he does throw the deep ball, it does get there. I mean, you know what I saw the other day? I saw a great highlight, and this really accentuates it. There was that Hail Mary play against the Patriots in 2019, the one play by Kevin White that actually matters that he made in his Bears career. But that was a great throw and a great catch where he missed yeah. it on the one-yard line. Yeah, yeah. 
No, he played he played a fantastic game that year, and I that's the part that and I, I'm interested in your perspective on this. I think one of the things that I liked the most about Mitch initially was uh, he was really resilient. He was a very resilient player, in my personal opinion, and we've seen those moments. You're bringing up that Patriots game. I think of that fourth quarter against the Eagles. I think of you know week one against the Lions team. You know, I think of those types of moments, but then there's also him really struggling against above 500 teams. Like, you know, the Rams really, really gave him a hard time. There's been some bad Packers moments along there. You know, where where are you on that in terms of – because now he's heading into a Steelers market. And look, man, the Steelers are just as big, if not bigger, football fans than the Chicago Bears are. It's, it's, it's a different animal, but it's kind of the same. You know, do you feel like that he's going to be able to maintain that resiliency? Do you think he's kind of playing with some house money? Where do you think he is mentally with all this right now? I think he's ready to compete. I think, you know, he sat out for a whole year. Uh, you know, he had to yeah. sit on the side and watch Josh Allen and, and watch the Bears, watch Justin Fields, watch the entire league. Um, I think he just wants to get back on the field. And even I saw a couple of quotes saying uh, pretty much the same thing, that he chose Pittsburgh because he knew this would be the quickest way for him to get back on the field and get a starting spot, even over in New York. Now, I think he would have beaten out Daniel Jones regardless. But, you know, in Pittsburgh right now, there really isn't even going to be a competition. He was signed to be the starting quarterback. Even the contract indicates it with the incentives. So I think at this point, he just wants to get back on the field, do whatever he can to get back on. And from there, um, you know, I expect good things from Mitch. I don't expect over-the-top performances, but but I expect a lot of what he did, like I said, in 2018, and, um, you know, from what I've heard from Pittsburgh Steeler fans, I know a lot of them myself, they actually didn't want Jimmy G. Actually, they preferred Mitch Trubisky over Jimmy Garoppolo, a lot of them that I know, at least, and I was told that at least um, it's better than Mason Rudolph, too, and they said anybody but Mason Rudolph, number one, then they said, well, we had a choice between Jimmy G and Mitch Trubisky, we want Mitch, and I said, well, okay, then, you know, here's what you're going to get in him. So I think um, they're going to be pleasantly surprised. I think the NFL is going to be pleasantly surprised. I don't think he'll get a lot of press co- uh, press coverage. I think it's going to be kind of silent out there in Pittsburgh. But he's going to quietly put up the same numbers he did in 2018. And I expect maybe like an Alex Smith hype renaissance when he went to the Chiefs after leaving the 49ers. Yeah, from a perspective of Jimmy G versus Mitch, I, I feel like that they did the right thing because you're just spending money on Mitch and the commitment is low and it doesn't exclude you from drafting a quarterback in this draft if you so choose where jimmy g would cost that third fourth fifth round pick that might be that quarterback that the steelers could be targeting in this draft and you have a lot more money invested and you have a lot more i don't know maybe expectations and again are the players really that different from a fan base perspective you're bringing up a really good point and i I feel like for the steelers fan base is a better landing spot than the giants fan base i talked to a lot of giants fans and they're their quarterback is obsessed the same way that we are. You know, and from what you've encountered over the last couple of years, why do you think the Chicago Bears fans hate on Mitch so much? Is it the player? Is it the situation? Is it the history? If you could maybe, I mean, it's a big question. If you could put your pulse on it, what do you think it is? My goodness. Um... <laughs> let's let's lean back and <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's I contemplate this for days about it, but I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. I mean, it's not like he's a bad personality. You know, it'd be different if he's sitting there cursing out fans. He hasn't done that. He, he hasn't done anything to really piss off the fan base except what? Okay. Sorry. Not perform up to par in 2019 and 2020. Then at the end of the day, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace get fired and, and Mitch is gone and nobody says a word. I think a lot of the hatred stems from what Matt Nagy painted him out to be in 2019 and 2020. A lot of people sided with Nagy on that argument. And look, I understand it in the moment, but now I think it's gotten to the point where nobody wants to admit that they were wrong about it. Or nobody even wants to say, okay, maybe he does deserve a second chance. Let me see what he can do. Nobody wants to be so wrong about this because I mean, it's a pretty big deal when you think about it. This guy was a number two overall pick, brought him in, um, ran out of town and was happy to run him out of town. Now all of a sudden, oh, wait, you know, he has another starting job. Well, what's this mean? A lot of people don't want to admit maybe that he's that they were wrong on their evaluation. And that's fair. I mean, I understand it. The thing that I don't like, and I've mentioned this a number of times in my program, don't be personal with it. And this guy can't even post on social media without getting like MVP comments or people trashing on him and his family and his wife and his kid. He just got married and yeah, they were dragging him, dragging him while he was getting married, which was kind of weird. And, and I don't think that should reflect Chicago sports fan bases in general. Not at all, because you know what? Chicago sports fans are pretty likable people. They're pretty polite, I would say, for the most part. I mean, unless you, you personally piss them off, they're not going to come after you. But for some reason, Mitch Trubisky just seemed to be that exception. 
I don't know why. I feel like, again, it has something to do with not wanting to be wrong because Matt Nagy really painted this dark, dark picture of who Mitch Trubisky is. I mean, in my opinion, based on the way um, the relationship went, based on the way after 2020, what he said about Mitch publicly. Um, and then even this year coming up with Justin Fields, how, uh, you know, a lot of the thing was, oh, at least it's not Mitch, at least it's not Mitch. Well, it wouldn't matter, you know, whomever it was, because I, I hate to say it, but it's true. Justin Fields didn't have the best rookie year either. The fact is it was Matt Nagy who was the problem. And, and you know, Ryan paced this whole organization. It wasn't just a Mitch Trubisky thing. You had people blaming Mitch for the problems that start with George McCaskey, Ted Phillips, Matt Nagy, and Ryan Pace. I think that was the big issue. And now nobody wants to turn around and say, well, you know, maybe it wasn't Mitch after all. So I think that's probably the main problem. Yeah, and I think from uh, – and we, we're, we're, we're dialed in, right, and we drill into the minutia. I think there's a lot of uh, fans that just want to watch the games, and, and that's totally fine, and they get a rush out of it. And the fact that his name is attached to Patrick Mahomes in the same sentence I think makes it really easy for people to hop on the, the, you know, giving him a really, really hard time. And, and man, you're, you're bringing up a really good point. Let's, I want, I would do want to get your take really quick on the aftermath of Nagy just really quickly, because I don't think we're trying to make Mitch out to be anything other than maybe just a, you know, a player who has failed to this point, see his full potential. But as you're mentioning throughout his entire tenure, there was a lot of, you know, butting heads, right, of Nagy's system versus what Mitch was probably comfortable with and what Mitch just wanted to do to succeed. And I feel like it a lot of times, too, as well, when you want to talk about Mitch's accuracy down the field and what he did and did not do, when I was watching the tape, I saw a guy who was just trying to please his coach and please his fan base and say, you know what? I'm going to make the right decision on this play no matter what instead of maybe that gunslinger mentality of maybe he needed a little someone to be like man be Philip Rivers throw some picks let's see what happens where I felt like when there were plays where guys were developing open down the field I felt like that he was kind of going with the check down the sure thing because he didn't want to maybe piss anybody off like his coaching staff and to your point man look what we did with Justin Fields this year we did not cater to him at all especially early on when we said, hey, like we're throwing this guy into the fire here against Cleveland. Maybe let's just cinch it up a little bit and let's overprotect and try and play, you know, uh, um, a more conservative game plan style. And, and and you just see it sort of out there and it's probably goes into a little bit the ego of Matt Nagy. Um, you've been on it. I've seen your takes before. Just maybe bring your take to the audience. I mean, you kind of believe you don't think Matt Nagy should probably coach in the NFL ever again. I mean, I, the fact that he's with the Chiefs probably doesn't seem right to you, correct? Yeah, um, that was a real head-scratcher. I saw a report here that said maybe he's going to be groomed to be the successor for Andy Reid. I have no clue if that's going to be true or not. I think that, that's even more ridiculous. Um, no, this guy should not be in the NFL again for the simple point that he sabotaged two quarterbacks. I don't understand why this is like a big head-scratcher for, for some people or like it, it's like – you know, I've seen people say, oh, you know, he deserves another chance. No, he sabotaged two different quarterbacks. That to me shows, I don't care if he's a rookie coach or whatever it might be. He's been around the NFL long enough time to know how to coach a quarterback. I mean, that's why they hired him, right? He's supposed to be the quarterback whisperer. That's why he was supposed to help out Mitch Trubisky. He knows how to work with quarterbacks. So that argument is false. Um, he sabotaged two top picks, not just quarterback, top picks. Mitch Trubisky was number two and Justin Fields was whatever he was, number 11. Um that is unacceptable to me, especially considering the quarterback position in this day and age is the most important position in the NFL. So if you want to go around sabotaging your quarterbacks or telling them you have to conform to me and you guys don't really have a say so in anything, you know, unless you're Bill Belichick or unless you're somebody who actually knows what they're doing, um, it doesn't make any sense to be that way. And it was obvious that it wasn't working. Uh, the Bears went eight and eight two years. And last year was a train wreck. I don't understand why there couldn't have been any changes to Matt Nagy. Instead, he decided to stay stubborn in his ways. That led to him being fired. And I don't understand why he should ever be considered for another head coaching position ever again, even a real coaching position. Like, okay, he was hired to be some assistant offensive guy. I don't know what that's going to entail because Andy Reid calls plays. But even putting him near an offense, I think, is ridiculous based on what he did here in Chicago. You know, everybody wants to sit there and talk about Mitch Trubisky. I'll say Justin Fields got sabotaged, too. 100% last year. It also happened to him. And, and, you know, I don't understand it. I just don't get it. Why, um, you know, why we have to sit here and praise Nagy or give him another chance when it's obvious that he was given another chance with a new quarterback and it didn't work. And I'm not going to blame Justin Fields, but we already knew it was Matt Nagy was the problem. 
because I think Matt Nagy convinced us that he had this system and he right. came and he came from this program. And I think what we learned over time was that he only it, there was limitations to it. He only could cover so much ground. And what I find to be kind of maybe if we could sort of roll it forward a little bit now to the new regime that we have in place with Ryan Poles' general manager, head coach Matt Everflus, and more specifically offensive coordinator Luke Getze. You know, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to Luke Getze's press conference, but I'll try and paraphrase as best I can where they were like, you know, what are your offensive philosophies? You know what I mean? And it was funny where I think like the cynic, he basically just goes like, well, uh, you know, I don't know. Haven't gotten with the guys yet. You know what I mean? Haven't gotten with the guys. Haven't. I don't know what we're going to be. I don't know what my philosophies are because I don't know. I haven't been with my players yet. And the cynic goes, well, he just kind of just said he doesn't know what he's doing. But maybe to our point, he just said to himself, said to himself and to Bears fans, my system will be catered towards what my players do best. We will create it in our own image. I have enough history and wherewithal to adjust. If I need to pull something off this shelf, I can do that. Pull something off that shelf. You know, he's not making a turkey sandwich. He's making a full meal, I think, is what he wants to do. And that has me encouraged. Are you at right this point? Obviously, you're healthy skepticism, but are you encouraged about this new regime coming in right now? That's a great assessment, Joey, and that's 100% correct. I'm very, very encouraged. I'm even encouraged about what Ryan Poles has done this free agency. Um, you know, a lot of people may not be happy that he hasn't spent a lot of money. I see that really as a good thing. I'd rather him not be wasting money like Ryan Pace did on stupid contracts that are going to be end up being worthless in a couple of years. And real quick, look who's spending the money right now, John. The Jets, the Jaguars. Yep. You know what I mean? Those are the types of teams that are throwing money at free agency. So I'm glad that we're not one of those teams. Christian Kirk is going to make $20 million per year. And Alan Robinson is barely going to get 17 or 15 in a good I enough know. market. That's so crazy. Right. It's so That's crazy. What I mean. do you, do, would you want Alan Robinson to come back? I'd love it, but yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, you know, I know. Um, so actually, um, his agent, like, retweets a lot of my stuff on Twitter. And, you know, he follows me. He's DM me a few times. He just told me, you know, I appreciate your fair coverage of Alan Robinson. It seems like a lot of people in Chicago don't really cover him fairly, you know, when it comes to not just fans, but media, media and fans. And I, I get the point. So, you know, if someone's agent's going to be saying that about Alan Robinson, I do not expect him to return, no matter what. I think he's just very um, discouraged by the way things went here in Chicago. Um, and rightfully so, especially last year. You know, he was trashed a lot, maybe some fair, some unfair. I really don't think it was fair considering he was purposefully another guy who sabotaged and let out of Matt Nagy's offense. You know, you can't be targeted 154 and 151 times in 2019 and 2020, then go down to 66. 66. Dude, that is unbelievable when this guy is a superstar wide receiver. Yeah. 97 receptions to 66 targets. Right. Exactly. So I don't even with the new regime. The damage has been done, unfortunately, where the fan base has already turned on him and the media has turned on him. I think for him, the best idea would be to go somewhere where he can win something. He's getting older. And I said this in my video, and I actually really hope this for him. Go somewhere where you're going to win a Super Bowl, please. You know, you've been running around in Jacksonville and Chicago. Please go somewhere that's going to be competitive, that gets you a chance to get to the Super Bowl. Great guy on and off the field. Um, productive wide receiver played with a bunch of subpar to average quarterbacks. I mean, got to remember 2020 putting up a thousand plus yards with, you know, three different quarterbacks or two different quarterbacks, you know, with uh, Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. Um, so he's put up great numbers throughout his career, despite a lot of bad quarterback play. I mean, remember even in Jacksonville, he's playing with Blake Bortles, putting up 1500 yards. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see him go somewhere where there's a really good quarterback, um, a good situation, a playoff type situation so that he can get a ring. Yeah, I think a spot like Buffalo is perfect for him. I know he's being tied to the Chiefs right now, which makes no sense in the world because Matt Nagy's still in the building. Right. I, I don't really get that one. But, yeah, no, I think he's, it's one of those players, and you see them a lot in um, in baseball. or maybe, And you're seeing a little bit with DeMar DeRozan, I think, a little bit too as well of like, oh, yeah, I remember this guy is really good. When you put him in a winning situation, he all of a sudden becomes an all-star and ascends up to the top again. And – and look, I'm right there with you, and, and I want to get your take on the Khalil Mack trade, but also, you know, they signed this defensive tackle, uh, Ogunjobi, from the Bengals. And I'll be honest with you, maybe I heard his name a couple of times during the Super Bowl or during the season. I don't know him that intimately. And people are just losing their minds on Twitter about, like, offense. You know, we need the offense and the defense. And I kind of heard you sort of tiptoeing around it. I mean, is it fair to say that no matter who they sign in this offseason – 
the fact that it'll be that it's a guarantee that they'll be on the roster when we're actually winning again is kind of a 50-50 shot at this point because we're not winning this year. And this is built for Justin Fields to have success in year two and year three. Whoever you sign this year may not be part of that mix anyways. Right. And um, as far as Ogan Joby goes, I'm not opposed to the signing only because he's essentially a 10 to $15 million less version of Khalil Mack. Uh, if you look at his numbers, good pass rusher, seven sacks last year before he broke his foot. So that's obviously concerning. I hope he would recover from the surgery. But I actually thought that was a very shrewd move by Ryan Poles in the sense that you're going to pay, again, 10 to $15 million less per year. Because this is only a $13 million per year contract compared to 24 or 26 with Khalil Mack. You got that stuff out of the off the books um, after this year. You pay him, good pass rusher, good defensive tackle. I have no problem with the signing uh, in the sense that it's a budget Khalil Mack. You needed somebody to fill up his shoes defensively. You found somebody. Um, he's a solid player. Uh, he's well-regarded. He was well-regarded last year in Cincinnati. Um, played with Cleveland for a couple of years before, not really, didn't really do much last year was kind of his breakout year. Uh, but it's a three-year deal, which usually means Joey, as you and I both know one or two, uh, because at the end of the day, he's probably going to be cut. So this is a good signing. It's a good budget replacement for Cleo Mack. Probably will not stick around unless he performs. If he does, then great. Give him an extension or give him something. But at this point, I thought that was a great signing. I wouldn't worry too much again about free agent moves, especially now you look at the market. I mean, you know, Christian Kirk should not be making 20 million. And I know I've said this already, but I'm going to say it again, because, you know, what are your other options at wide receiver? And then how much are you willing to pay them? And how much cap space do you have? You know, even somebody like Juju Smith-Schuster, who at the time of this taping is still available. You know, I don't know if I'm paying more than 15 million a year. If, if everybody Ooh. has a problem with, if everybody has a problem with paying Allen Robinson 17 or 18 and Christian Kirk got 20, well then, you know, what's the market going to look like? You know, you're going to have to be very shrewd in the type of investment you're going to make on the wide receiving front. And on top of it, the market is very thin. I'm okay with the Bears getting, um, you know, having Darnell Mooney, getting some like two or three or four wide receiver and drafting somebody for now. And then maybe next year you, you could expand. Or if you want to pay money this year, go ahead. But, you know, I would hope it wouldn't be too much for somebody like Juju or, um, you know, Marquez Valdez-Scantling or whomever else is going to be on the market. I couldn't agree more. Um, when I do these Believe in Bears episodes with uh, Corey Wooten, we were talking about the wide receivers that we want of choice. And I've been, I, I've been on Christian Kirk for a couple months. But my thing with Christian Kirk was Christian Kirk just had a really good season. And I was like, you know, he's probably an 8 to $9 million guy, and he's probably going to want 10, 11, 12. And I'm like, is 12 too much? He got 20, John. He got 20. And when it comes to Juju, Juju made, I believe, 7 or 8 last year. And I wouldn't go over 10 for him. And if you want to talk 12, 14, 15 million dollars a year, look, he's a great player. The dude, he's a wide receiver that knows how to block. And honestly, I think that's kind of something that we sort of secretly need. He can make some tough catches. He's really personable dude. I think he'd mesh really well in Chicago. But 12 to 14 million dollars a year, is, it's just too much, right? And so I'm with you. So maybe my follow-up question for this is, I've been sort of thinking about this in my mind. And I think a lot of, and I hear this a lot from Bears fans, of like, you need this number one receiver. Do you believe that the Bears need a number one receiver, or do you believe that maybe a young Justin Fields just needs depth and options? Because I'm sort of leaning towards the uh, the latter on that one more than the former. Where do you land on that? You know, it depends on the situation, I think. Um, right now, he has a, he obviously has a connection with Darnell Moody. Darnell Moody had 1,000 receiving yards last year, and when Justin Fields played, there was obviously a connection. That was Fields' preferred target over a veteran like Allen Robinson. You could almost say – I don't want to say it yet, but you can kind of say that Mooney is the number one at this point, unless they sign somebody of a bigger stature. I'm okay with signing him or keeping him, signing somebody at two or three, drafting somebody, drafting two people if you have to, and having that depth now. But I think when you're ready to win, you do need a number one, I think. But when you're ready to win, though, not right now, you know, at this moment, I would save up money and address what you need just to have enough guys on the field, which is going to be offensive line. The Bears have one offensive line on the roster right now. So invest money in the offensive line or the quarterback position secondary. And uh, if you have anything extra, go up to the wide receiver. I don't think it's necessary now, though, to have a number one. And look at this market. I mean, this market's weak. I'll just be honest with you, Joey. I'd rather wait till next year or wait till I'm ready to win and see what it looks like in two years versus today. I wouldn't pay any of these guys what, what they're asking or what they plan on asking, with the exception of potentially Allen Robinson. But even then, the problem with him is, you know, he doesn't even want to come back anyway. And that's not there's not going to be a reunion. So out of all these guys that are out there, none of them catch my eye too much. I mean, 
Christian Kirk's never had a thousand yard season, Joey. He's making $20 million per year. And, you know, the funny part is now Jacksonville released Miles Jack, their top linebacker, because they had to pay for this bumble wide receiver. And now the Bears are after him. That is a great move if you're Chicago and a yeah. stupid one if you're Jacksonville. Yeah, no, that's a great call. And uh, just throwing it out there, next uh, year's free agency class, wide receiver, A.J. Brown. Could I interest you in that with $125 million in the cap? That's the guy with speed and size who can – Justin Fields can just arrow down the field for 50 yards and just have A.J. Brown to go get it, just kind of throwing it out there. Uh, just real quick, you know, when it happened, I think it was really jarring and emotional for a lot of Bears fans. I know it was for me a little bit, but again – Dollars and cents and practicality, practicality ruled the day. Where did you end up landing on the Khalil Mack trade? I was very disappointed at first because I didn't know what the future plan was going to be. Now today, when I see this uh, signing of Ogan Joby, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay mm -hmm. with it because at the end of the day, the Bears found a budget option to replace Khalil Mack. Uh, they found somebody who's going to cost $10 to $12 million less. At the surface, though, I wasn't happy about it because I thought they should have gotten back more, to be honest. And I understand, like, the cap part of it. I get it. You know, Khalil Mack is Khalil Mack. We're not talking about, like, some, you know, random defensive player. This guy is a superstar. He's a household name of the NFL. I would have liked to see more than some second-rounder and some sixth-rounder, you know, a year from now to come in um, or, or whatever. The other two are mixed around. Like, okay, I understand it. Um, but, you know what, at the end of the day, I guess it was necessary. And seeing what they did today – to me, justifies it. You know, now that we know what the plan was the whole time, now I get it. Now I'm not as mad. Mm -hmm. The moment, of course, you know, emotionally, yes, is Cleo Mack. Yes, the Bears traded a lot and paid him a lot. But then you have to remember, too, is that Ryan Poles' fault? No, that's Ryan Pace and his stupid decision-making. It's not necessarily Ryan Poles. Paying Khalil Mack six years of $130 million, <laughs> yeah. that's the problem more than anything. I, I've been making this joke, John, that, like, uh, Ryan Poles got into his office early. It's early in the morning, right? sits down in his desk, looks at the big bear on the wall and goes, I've made it. And then someone knocks on the door and comes in and goes, Mr. Poles, he's this. Uh, we have this uh, stack of papers here for you. And he leaves it on the desk. And Poles open it up, and it's Ryan Pace's credit card of him just shuffling money. And he just goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? And the Danny Trevathan, the Tariq Cohen, the Eddie Goldman – you know, and, and in many ways, not to just besmirch Cleo Mack as a player on the field, but they kept kicking his money into future years. And that's what you do in life is you put money on the credit card and just hope that eventually you figure it out. And maybe this is one of that hard, you know, that medicine that Bears fans just need to understand and take that until we get the salary cap sort of figured out and move a lot of this money off the books. These are the type of moves that we might see and it might hurt for a little bit. I agree. Um, and, you know, again, it's Cleo Mack. There are certain emotional ties. And uh, he's still a, an elite player in my eyes. Six sacks and seven games last year before he got hurt. Um, I think he's going to do great in Los Angeles, though. I really think he's going to have a big yeah. 10 to 12 sack year. And that's going to be frustrating for a lot. It's going to be but real quick, for me. To, but real quick, just for the one year, though, right? And then I feel like, I feel like next year he's going to ball out. And then after that, we're going to see diminishing returns. And, Probably, and, I'd say, and, around and, seven or eight sacks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, eventually we're going to be like, we're going to be winning, and Khalil Mack might not be the player that he was, and that's that's the timing that we're dealing with. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's the trade-off that's going to come with any trade that you make in the NFL. It's understandable. I just think, you know, if the Bears had gotten the first rounder, I would have been more happy. Um, they didn't, which I, I get it, I guess. I guess the caps, you know, the salary is going to come off the books after this year. You know, this year it's going to be dead cap. I understand the move. Um, now that they made the move that they did today when it comes to finding his replacement, um, I'm much more satisfied with it now. One aspect, if you could just pick one thing, of Justin Fields' game that you would like to see improve, tangibly approved next year, what would it be? That's a good question. Um, I would say instincts-wise. I don't think he had the best instincts so far this year. And that doesn't mean he couldn't process. I just think, you know, there were a number of times where it was one read. And that's understandable, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he's a first-year quarterback, and he's under immense pressure. Uh, there was no offensive line help whatsoever. So I'd like to see more time for him in the pocket. And that will allow him to make more completions and, therefore, more touchdowns, more yards, all that good stuff. His numbers were not good this year by any stretch. But then again, you know, when you have – a second to throw the ball, not even two or three, that's going to be a problem. Uh, you know, he needs to find more time in the pocket. That way he allows, you know, he allows his eyesight to see a different receivers down the field. And that in turn allows him to complete more passes, not throw the ball as much on the run or off his back foot. That allows for more yards, more touchdowns, and a better stat line at the end of the day and more wins for the Bears. So I think, you know, instincts, but that comes with more 
time in the pocket. I think those are the two things that really need to improve for him. I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't profess to be, you know, a football scout or expert, but I, just, I, you know, but I mean, like I watch enough of this stuff where eventually you start to see certain patterns and habits. And I'm right there with you. I felt like at times he was just 0.3 seconds off. Like, I, I don't even think it's a processing thing. I think he sees it, but that 0.3 twitch of deciding and, and buying in, making that decision i think that's what kind of maybe held him back and i think that maybe he kind of hampered his relationship with alan robinson because i feel like mitch had such trust in alan robinson of hey i'm going to throw it to a spot and a rob is going to go out there and get it number 12 is going to get it and i don't know if justin fields is a rookie which is understandable i don't know if he quite felt like that where darnell mooney was wide open right and he's like i i can hit this i can hit this all day long so I'm with you. I think it's that that trust a little bit where I think he's got the accuracy. I think he's got the arm. Um, I think he's got the intelligence. I think he's got all the makeup that you want. But maybe, yes, get that 0.4 seconds. You know what I mean? And if, if I can maybe go f further, if you want to comment on it, I'm starting to also kind of realize with Justin Fields, too, is talented dude. All the talent in the world, right? But as we're seeing in the NFL, there's like a bridge that every quarterback must cross. Right. And it's that one. And I think Mitch is the one also another one where you see him very, very capable, but it's that bridge where you cross it, where it's just that next level. Right. It's that next level. When when the guys talk about second and third read, when they talk about anticipation, when we're talking about instincts and you can say all you want that it's a maturation process, but it isn't just like you just you don't just accrue credit hours and then all of a sudden they give you a certificate, right? It either happens for some quarterbacks or you don't like, are you kind of, are you kind of feeling what I'm saying? Well, sometimes it just clicks for these guys and sometimes it doesn't Justin Fields. It could click for him, but we just kind of don't know, right? It's still a very much a work in progress. Yeah. I, I fully agree with that assessment too. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of quarterbacks, I think all the quarterbacks from last year's draft class have, have done that to be honest with you. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence looked like crap. I'll be, I mean, that was horrible. A bad team. Uh, you know, Justin Fields obviously had his growing pains as well. Mac Jones looked okay, but he had a good roster around him. And he dipped. He hit a wall. And he did dip. Yeah. Right. And then Davis Mills looked actually decent. David, to his credit, looked pretty good. But still, the numbers weren't there, and he had nothing around him as well. All the quarterbacks from last year need work. Uh, it's different than in years past. You know, Deshaun Watson came on the scene, killed it. Patrick Mahomes came on the scene, okay, played one game in his rookie year, but the next year, which was, to me, his really rookie year, killed it. No, and that counts, that for lot. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't no, see that, that counts for um, Let's roll it over to, uh, let's roll it over to baseball. Um, I'm I'm kind of curious that there hasn't been quite the free agent frenzy that I think that we were all going to get, but let's just kind of start here with both sides of town. Um, what will be a higher number total by the end of the year? White Sox victories or Cubs losses? White Sox wins, no doubt. And that's just because I don't think the Cubs are going to lose as many games as people think. Even that I thought from last year, looking at their roster right now, uh, you know, they picked up Wade Miley before the lockout. They just got Andrew Elton Simmons, which I thought was a great deal for a one-year thing. I would not pay Carlos Correa $300 million. I'd rather have a budget option and shortstop, especially considering you already got Nico Horner there anyway. You already have, you don't have many needs in the middle of your field if you're the Cubs. And your corners are covered too with Wisdom and Twindell. Um, I think the Cubs are probably going to be not near five, maybe a little bit under, I'd say probably like 70 and 92, or maybe even like 75 and 87. Um, as for the White Sox, um, I think they're going to win a lot of games this year. I'd say 94 to 96 uh, is my projection, at least. Uh, I love the moves they made. They weren't splashy. They weren't huge. They weren't big, but they got what they needed. Josh Harrison is going to be a great plug and play guy. He's a utility player. I know they said they got him for second base, but he could play everywhere in the field. He could play left center and right. Second base, shortstop, third, even first base if necessary. Former All-Star, was great with the Pirates. Uh, his problem in recent years has been his bat. Uh, so if he can just hit the ball right, um, especially this year, he's going to be a great asset for them. Vince Velasquez is an innings eater. Uh, may not necessarily have the ERA you want, but the White Sox do need some innings eaters at the back of their rotation. Velasquez, um, if healthy, could go 200 innings in a season, even now. And that's a hot commodity at this point in, the, in Major League Baseball. So that was a good move as well. And Joe Kelly... Good kind of setup guy or long relief guy, former starting pitcher with the Cardinals, actually, and uh, really turned his career around uh, in Los Angeles these past couple of years, made a name for himself. Now it comes to the White Sox. So I think those moves were great. Um, I think the Sox are probably, I mean, they, there should be no diminished expectations after last year. The, the goal, I think, for them should still be World Series at this point. You know, last year, 
you know, first year trying to figure things out, uh, coronavirus, all these things going on this year. Uh, fortunately, there's no more COVID at least. And more importantly, you have the experience of losing. You know, you lost to the Astros. Okay, wow. Now it's time. You got to build off that. You got to get to the ALCS and preferably to me, the World Series. You have to get there. Uh, not this year, next year, but can't be wasting more time here because you got a three to seven year window. Okay, it's year one, year one's over, but you know, quickly it's going to start passing by. You make sure you get in before it's too late. In terms of the White Sox, you're hitting on something that I think that they're doing that is very smart that I hope pays dividends down the road where you see a lot of these pitching signings right now. And I think mm-hmm. some White Sox fans that I've talked to have kind of been like, how are they going to use all these arms? Well, I'm already kind of seeing if we're going to miss two weeks of spring training. And Tony La Russa has already said this. His biggest concern through the spring is the health of his pitcher's arms. Now, we're going to have fingers crossed that we get – 120 games at least from Aloy and Luis Robert each this year, right? That's going to do a huge thing for the offense. But I think that coming out of the gate, I think some teams are going to have to be really careful with how they use their starters. And, you know, I can already see a situation where a Michael Kopech, even a Lance Lynn, you might have to hold these guys down to four or five innings with actual baseball games happening in April until they kind of get up to snuff and get up with their pitch count. So having said that, um, in your opinion, what do you think they should do with Craig Kimbrell? Oh boy. Um, Craig Kimbrell, you know, I was, it's, so it's tough. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there's a I right know. answer, right? Cause if you, if you keep him and he's terrible in the spring, you can't trade him at all. But right now, maybe his market isn't as good as it should be. And can you trade him right now? It's a really, I don't know if there's an answerable, but I'm curious what you think maybe in the long run is the best move. Yeah. At this point, I'd put him in low leverage situations to start. If he does well, I mean, you can move him back up and you can have him maybe regain the closer role or a sub type role. But um, at this point, uh, Liam Hendricks is the bona fide closer. He's proven himself already. There should be no reason why Kimbrell should get near there. He has to earn it. You know, I hate to say it, you know, I know he's a veteran. I know he's a great closer, but you know, at this point you sucked last year. You got to earn it again. Uh, I mean, that was, I was an atrocious performance out of him. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I cover both teams, like, you know, and I'm right down the middle. I really thought the White Sox initially won that trade. They needed Kimbrell. They needed somebody in the back of their bullpen. And imagine if he worked, you had Hendricks and Kimbrell in the back. That would have been great. That was disgusting. When I saw that was horrible. That was not Craig Kimbrell. That's not the Craig Kimbrell. I know who I watched play with the freaking Braves coming up. Um, so yeah, he needs to really re-earn uh, that uh, you know, that, that spot and re-earn the ability to get meaningful innings. And until that point, he's going to be doing mop-up duty. And that's, that's what you get for, for sucking on that level and hurting your team to the extent that the White Sox could have gone maybe further last year if they didn't have an inept back of their bullpen. Yeah, he's terrifying, man. I mean, he's just <laughs> – he's he, – he, He's he's scary. I mean, with the Cubs, he was as lights out as it gets, and it just kind of takes one little minor thing in his mechanics, and he just kind of goes crazy. And, yeah, and it's, it's funny you're bringing up something where I think we talked a lot about the health of the White Sox hitters last year. I think one of the things that didn't really bounce their way was I think they were really banking on that bullpen being this, like, lockdown, forget about it, lights out type bullpen, and it just didn't really quite play itself out like that. And as Rodon got hurt and as they got tempted by Kopech, you know, and using Kopech more, you know, they kind of like exposed him a little bit. And I'm kind of really interested to see how they do it. But obviously, conversely, Joe Kelly, Kendall Graveman, these are the type of signings that I think you need to maybe sort of shore up that situation. Um, you know, to roll it over to the Cubs real quick, I'm going to preface this with, with um, I'm still kind of mad at the team, John. I'm still kind of mad at the Cubs. So. Really? I am. I am. I, um, and you know what, man? I, and, and, and I love I love what you do. But this this might be one of like the few things that we kind of diverge on a little bit. But let me sort of phrase it. Let's keep it in the here and now before we start rehashing the old past. Right now, they have ninety nine million dollars committed to their payroll at this time uh, per the new lockout agreement. You can go up to two hundred thirty before it becomes punitive with luxury tax. So in theory, they got some money to spend. In theory, John, they could sign say a Suzuki. Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, Freddie Freeman. Hell, even an Anthony Rizzo. They could sign a collection of those guys and still have money left over to add a pitcher or two or three. So in your opinion, where do you think they are right now? Do you like the direction that the Cubs are going in right now? And and why do you think that they aren't trying to maybe – I'm not saying sign all these guys. You know what I mean? We all make a Christmas wish list. We don't get everything we want for Christmas. But, 
you know, where, what do you think the direction of this team is right now? And, and are you on board with it? That's a great question. Um, so last year I was, I was on board last year when I saw all the trades being done, I thought it was time. And um, they got a lot of good prospects back. Uh, you know, they're trade with Javier Baez. The, those prospects from the Mets, I think, are going to be pretty good in a couple of years. Remember, the Udarvish prospects, they were 16 and 17 at the time. Uh -huh. They're going to be back up soon here in a couple of years. I love those moves. Yeah, the and just for context, real quick with the context with the audience, just real quick, is um, a lot of these guys that they got are very high-level prospects that could be some of the great stars of the next game. But a lot of them are 19 and 20 years old. So, they're, like you said, it is going to be a couple of years till they get up. The problem is this, and I noticed this this year, and even with those names you mentioned too, they burned bridges. Uh, Nick Castellanos would not want to come back here, no matter what. Same with Kyle Schwarber. And, and if I were them, I wouldn't even consider returning to the Cubs. Even Anthony Rizzo as well, all three of them, I wouldn't want to come back. So then, you know, you're left with a couple of options left out there. Um, I don't know if it's necessary yet. The Cubs aren't ready to win. You know, it's pretty obvious at this point. Um, it'd be different if they... I don't know, kept some of the guys from last year. They had a better roster. But look, let's just be honest here. I, I want to be completely honest. And Cubs fans, you can come and kill me if you want. But let's just be real here. Frank Schwindel is nothing. Frank Schwindel had a couple. He had 50 games last year. Okay, oh, this Frank we agree Schwindel. on. No, let it loose, buddy. We agree on this one here. Yeah. He's 30, 30, 31 years old. Okay. Yes. Frank Schwindel is not going to perform at this rate. Patrick Wisdom was a 30-year-old rookie. He is not going to perform at strikes this rate. Out of, strikes out a ton. If you don't like Anthony, if you don't like Javi Baez, I don't know why you would like Patrick Wisdom. The dude strikes out <laughs> just as much as, as the other guy. Just saying. I mean, I mean, this is reminding me of like Joe Mather, 2013 Cubs. Let's get a grip here and talk about what the reality is of this team. Yeah. I think in two or three years, um, a signing like Freddie Freeman would make a ton of sense. But right now, at this moment, with, with the roster that they have, I'm thinking 500 would be a blessing for, for them this year. So I don't think it's necessary to uh, commit a lot of money to Freddie Freeman. I will say this too, though. The optics are horrible. Uh, the Ricketts trying to buy out some soccer club and not investing in Rickley and in the Cubs, whom they've had since whatever it's been, 2009, 2010. Uh, that doesn't look good at all. And, you know, fortunately, I'm not a Ricketts family member. I don't have to explain to the audience what the hell they're doing over there. But that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, spending money on Rickley Field and not the team doesn't make any spent, uh, sense to me. And it might make sense from a business perspective. Joey, I, I have an economics degree. I, I get what they're doing from a business perspective. They're making a ton of money. But you know what? Fans don't want to hear it. Fans don't care about that. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this from an economics perspective, because this is my pet theory, right? And mm -hmm. my pet theory was they win the World Series in 2016. And now, did they... Now, did they go out and get the Bryce Harper and Manning Machado that they promised when this whole Theo and Jed uh, era and Ricketts era started? No, they didn't. But still, in 17 and 18, they made some moves to try and supplement the roster. They brought in a U Darvish, right? In 2019 was when we saw them stop spending money. It was like Daniel Descalso was the only guy that they brought in. right? And, and stuff started changing a little bit. And, and I started asking myself why. And then obviously we know in 2020 the pandemic happened in the famous phrase, from Tom Ricketts uh, about biblical losses. He couldn't have foreseen that coming. But from my perspective is in 2019, I think Tom Ricketts started to hedge his bets and he saw this lockout strife coming. He knew his TV deal wasn't kicking in yet. He knew that the optics of how you spend your luxury tax dollars were going to change in three or four years. And I almost think that the dude said, now like it or not, I think he punted on the team. And 2020 was the perfect excuse to fortify that and say, you know what? I'll see you guys in 2023, 2024. I'm going to hedge my bets. By hedging, he invests dollars in the neighborhood, in his sports book, in all this other kinds of stuff. Doesn't invest it in the team at all because it is a destabilized business situation to put a team out there to compete when fans weren't even in the stands in the beginning of last year, right? And now we went through this labor lockout. You know, all this stuff was kind of happening. Am I on to something that maybe Ricketts just said, you know what, I'm going to punt for like four or five years and I'm going to spend money on all this other stuff. And when this other stuff is built and ready to go, when I start spending money on the team again, we can turn the faucet on again. Am I on to something or like, I mean, that seems like what's happening. It would make fiscal sense, to be honest with you, Joey. Okay, thank you. If I thank were you. a businessman, if I were a businessman and I didn't care about public sentiment, 
I would do exactly that. Why would I invest my money in a team that number one's already on the downturn? We knew in 2018 or 2019, this team was already going to be over. I mean, it was, it was going down. We, we, everybody right. knew that. Even and, the only, and, the only, and the only way to do it was probably bring in a Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, which for right. you, dollars and cents, also seems like a crazy deal. Exactly. I yeah. wouldn't bring in Bryce Harper or Machado when the team's already going down. You know, one superstar is not going to lift them up. You know, this is not uh, the NBA or something. This is Major League Baseball. You need uh, a full roster to be able to win a World Series. Remember, the goal is to win a World Series. Were the Cubs in 2018 or 2019, even with the signing of Bryce Harper, in a better position to win? Not necessarily, because a lot of their superstar players were already not performing. Um, so then, you know, you look at that, then you realize, okay, Labor lockouts coming up in two years. Um, this team is not making me money at the moment or not as much as they were because think about it, uh, no postseason revenue, not as much hype around the team. This isn't 2016 anymore, but I'm sure they were pocketing tons of cash off not just merchandise, ticket sales, all that good stuff. Now you get to a point where no playoffs, teams going down, uh, labor lockouts coming up in a couple of years. And you know what's going to be more profitable? I'm a businessman. What's going to be more profitable for me? Wrigleyville is a very valuable area, the valuable neighborhood in Chicago. If I put in $100 million and rebuilt it, made a hotel and offices for my new TV network, I'd probably make bank off the property alone, let alone, you know, who's going to be living in there, who's going to be renting out the hotel, whatever it might be. So I think it was a business decision, and you are onto something. I, I mean, it makes sense economically to do it. The problem is, you're not going to testify that to the fan base. And that's, and that's the conundrum you get into when you're an, an owner of a professional team. And so that's the question is when does he, when does he feel like he should be turning the faucet back on? Because from my perspective and I'm a fan and, and an analyst and it's not my money. So I get to say whatever I want. <laughs> and in my opinion is I see a lot of young kids coming through our system that hopefully are going to be stars for the Cubs for years to come. But, you know, you just won the World Series in 2016. And for you to just ch you change gears like this and go all the way back down to the bottom, I just don't think it's the best way to do it. And most deals these days are about two, three, four years anyways. Is Marcus Stroman going to be on the next Cubs pennant winning team? I kind of have my doubts. So you have this window right now where you could go out and actually spend and do what the Boston Red Sox have done in many years past. They did it last year with the Hunter Renfro types and feel the team that is competitive that gets you 80 to 90 wins. You have expanded playoffs, so you're rolling that in. You're sort of rolling the dice, sort of seeing what happens. You're not all in, but, like, you're pretty in. You know what I mean? Like, you're you're spending money. But I just don't know if they're interested in doing that. And conversely, because I'm obsessed with this now. Since they won the World Series in 2016, I just think this story of how everything's unraveled and unfolded and changed, I think we're going to be talking about it forever. Very similar to what happened to the 85 Bears of, like, so why didn't they win another one? And I'll, I'll throw this one your way where, you know, you were up for breaking up the cubby core and at the time I wasn't. But I will say we're seeing it now. All of those guys drastically overvalued their market. And that's going to come back, I think, is one of the most damning and haunting things of this era where Baez signed for less money than he could have than what he wanted with the Cubs. Chris Bryan is, I don't think, getting his two hundred and forty million dollar contract. Schwarber maybe is going to get that 80, 90 million. That's kind of what Schwarber was always going to kind of be targeted to get. And the Cubs were never going to pay that. But even the Rizzo that you mentioned, the burn bridge with Rizzo, he turned down five years and $70 million. And he thought that was a slap in the face. John, he's not signing that. He's going to probably get half of that if he's lucky. And that's, what's really crazy about this cubby core where in theory, they probably could have signed up for the money the exact money or maybe even a touch more than what they're going to get now, but they didn't because they wanted to push the market. And that eventually led to this breakup too, as well. And I just, I find it tragic. I really do. You know, I do find it tragic, but I'm, it's, it's vindication. Not, not for me, just for the, mm -hmm. for the Cubs management. I will say this because you know what? We all knew these people weren't worth this much money and the Cubs would have overpaid and they would have been, look at, I mean, we talk about the bears with cap, issues the Cubs would have had issues paying out all these contracts it would have sucked to have Anthony Rizzo at a five-year who knows hundred million dollar deal or even five years 70 when he's hitting 240 and putting up like 10 or 12 home runs a year when Chris Bryant's hitting 270 with 20 homers for the entire season and that's just not good enough or Javier Baez striking out 200 times and on pace for 50 walks and 200 strikeouts these are not things that would have been good for the Cubs long term. And these are not guys that would have led them to another World Series if they're performing at this sort of pace. Yeah, and we saw that last year. Look at how bad they became even before the trade. 
the Cubs had already collapsed before they sold everybody. Uh, these, this core was not going to lead them anywhere new. They weren't going to go back to the World Series. So at that point, I understand the business perspective. I understand the regular perspective, even the fan perspective. These guys are historic parts of Cubs history. The 2016 team will always be remembered. You know, it'll always be cherished in Cubs lore. But at the end of the day, all these guys were not performing. And it didn't make sense to pay out what they wanted, pay out more than what they wanted, or even a little bit less than what they wanted. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't have made fiscal sense. It would have been too much money committed to three or four guys that weren't performing. Yeah, and that's the rub, too, as well, where on the ownership side, when you go back to that 2016 team, you look at guys like Fowler and you look at guys like Zobrist. And look, you know, at the time he was a good player, not a good person, Addison Russell. And once those three guys went away, we should we could have supplemented those pieces with, you know, the Castellanos of the world and supplemented the roster to prop them up to maybe not always feel like we have to lean on the Rizzo, KB and Javi. And we said, you know what? No. We're going to wait. We're going to lean on those guys. And we did, and it failed. And they wanted a certain market, and it didn't work out. And now they're probably going to be taking even less money, and they're not going to be in Wrigley Field anymore. We don't get to cheer for them. They make less money. Chris Bryant's going to go to Seattle. Uh, you know, I mean, no offense to the Seattle Mariners. Great city. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's not really the uh, the marquee uh, Fox matchup. You know what I mean? On Saturday afternoons in the Cubs uniform playing in the Ivy Wrigley Field. I mean, it's just it's it's sad for me, John. And I'm kind of curious now to see. OK, if they take this year off, fine. But next year, if they don't start, like, honestly, truly starting to put a tangible product in the field. I just think Cubs fans should be upset. I just really do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand this whole rebuild retool thing. But, man, that stuff gets away from you pretty quick in baseball if you're not too careful. Well, you got to remember what Jerry Reinsdorf once said. As long as you stay competitive and finish in second place, you can keep your fan base happy. So you have to remember that, too. Hey, Cubs just won a World Series. They just won. So, you know, you have to think the Ricketts are thinking, oh, we got a long time now because, we, you know, the curse is over. Uh, it's been yeah. 108 years they won. And that's the thing I think a lot of Cubs fans should be worried about because they feel like they have the flexibility to sit here and wait 10 or 15 years to rebuild another championship contender. You know, the last time I checked, um, you always want to be competitive, no matter what. You know, that the, the Cubs should be taking a page out of the Yankees book, the Cardinals book. It doesn't, why does it have to be that hard? You know, it doesn't have to be that difficult. They're choosing not to. They're choosing to burn the goodwill of the fans that's been there because in 2016, there's going to come a point here, you know, like you said, by next year, there's going to come a point where it's like, okay, what the hell's going on here? And, and will things get better? And if not, you know, there, there's going to be, some um, unhappy season ticket holders, maybe hopefully revenue would start to go down. That might pinch them and to start making some real change. John, that is a fantastic point, man, because don't, if, if I was to say to Cubs fans, don't get suckered in because our whole history has been rebuild a <laughs> uh, good team for a couple of years, tear it down, rebuild again. That is not what great franchises in baseball have done. And you illustrated that so perfectly where over the last 20 years, the Braves, the Cardinals, the Yankees, the Red Sox, Dodgers for better part of the last 20 years, and I'm probably missing another team. All those teams have been managed to stay above 500, compete almost every single year. Cool. Maybe a year or two off here and there, but no. Year off, they're right back in the mix. The Chicago Cubs and the Chicago Cubs fan base, more importantly, deserves to be in that echelon. And I thought that when you know we were contending with that last Cubby core, I thought that's what we were going to be doing. We were going to set that standard for the next 10 years. So, yeah, if you want to take a step back this year, okay. But I'm saying I think I think Cubs fans deserve better. You mentioned Jerry Reinsdorf. I'm going to get you out of here on this last topic. Uh, let's just keep it super simple. Um, you know, where are you on the Chicago Bulls right now? Um, and how deep could they possibly – what is their ceiling in this uh, upcoming playoff race in a very, very, very talented Eastern Conference? I think they're going to be a second-round loss. Um, I think they'll make it past the first round. I'm actually a little bit disappointed. Uh, you know, I know they started off really hot, but you got to beat the good teams. You can't be losing to these good teams and then beating up on the small ones and then claiming you're some powerhouse new age basketball team. They're good. They're 100% better than last year and the year before. This is the best Bulls team we've seen since the even before the Fred Hoiberg days, 100%. But you know what? At the end of the day, you can't sell me something that doesn't make sense when, when you're beating up on these crappy teams and then you're one in 13, whatever the record is now one in 14 against yeah, teams it, above it's 500. bad. 
Mm-hmm. That, that's you can't be doing that. And then you can't be telling me that, you know, we're going to be good or we're going to do something. I think if they get the favorable matchup, they could probably win in the first round, maybe, you know, a six or seven game win. But come that second round, you know, these are going to be all the teams that they lose to. They're going to have to face off again. So you think about Philadelphia. Now they got James Harden, Joel Embiid, um, Brooklyn, uh, Kevin Durant, uh, potentially Kyrie Irving, if that vaccine mandate is lifted by that time. Milwaukee, uh, Giannis. Uh, so there are a lot of people you got to be worried about in the East. The Bulls can't beat them. And they've proven it, unfortunately. I'd love to say something different, but that, you know, it's the fact of the matter. They're losing games that they shouldn't be losing or that they should at least be more competitive in. I mean, they lost the Kings the other night, even. So these are things that have to get better. Um, And at this point, you know, they're probably going to be a second round exit. And that's fine. That's progress for sure. But it's unfortunate considering how they started. You would have thought they would have been better. It's been a wild season. It's been highly entertaining, right? I mean, like, to credit where credit's due. I mean, I don't think Bulls fans, and I can't remember this fun of a season in a long time. I mean, God, maybe seven or eight years. And yeah, like you said, they started off so great injuries. And now we're at that point where we're kind of sort of struggling and maybe we're starting to butt our head up against the ceiling of what this team is capable. And yeah, I'm right there with you, man. And and what I'll say is that I just want to enjoy the ride. I really want to see them get healthy. And I'm not saying if they get healthy all of a sudden, like watch out. But if but if they get healthy, John, am I wrong? House money, right? Like let's just go in the playoffs. Let's see what we can do. Let's make some noise. I totally am on board with you that I think that they can win a first round. You know, it it's getting dicey who they play in that first round. But I do like our chances, even though Boston's playing really well. I do like our chances against the Celtics. I like our chances against the Cavaliers. If we can avoid Philadelphia in the first round, that would be awesome. Um, and then, yeah, in the second round, you know, hopefully we put up a good fight and, you know, maybe have something to to cheer about and look forward to. And we can maybe look back on this season as a success. I mean, too big to chew, but like, you know, what do you what do you think it's going to take for this team to take the next level? I mean, to take it to the next step. Is it just the health of this team or is it still one more big piece? I need one more big piece. I think they need. um you know, some rebounding help, to be honest. Vucevic has done fine. It would be nice if they had another four or five to play against, to play with him. That's a superstar caliber. I mean, I'm just throwing out names here. This is not going to happen. But Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, somehow it wouldn't happen. But if they came to the Bulls, that would put him over the top. You got Joel, Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic. Okay, now I'd say, hey, that's a championship roster. They need another superstar big man, I think, to compete. They have the shooting. Uh, Blasio Ball is healthy. They have the passing. Uh, you know, they have the defense, Alex Caruso, when he's healthy, I think they need another big guy, a superstar esque big guy to really put him over the top. Um, I did this on a pod a couple weeks ago. I'll throw it at you right now. Now this is just, yeah. this is a hot take and I'm having fun, right? Cause I'm stirring the pot. Who cares? <laughs> uh, you know, but you brought this up, you know, you mentioned Anthony Davis. Um, I actually figured out a way to work out the money where LeBron James could be on the bulls next year. And you would still have Lonzo Ball, Caruso, DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Vooch. And you would have oh. to spend you'd have to spend some money on some minimum guys. But it's mostly like uh, uh, Derek Jones is expiring, Patrick Williams, Kobe White, um, and then a couple other uh, moves along the way to like, kind of like stretch the money. But it could happen contractually, John. And my only thing with that it was exactly kind of what you're saying. And my whole pitch was. You know, does he have a better shot winning a title in Cleveland or does he have a better shot winning with this roster in Chicago? And does he have a better shot winning a title in Los Angeles or does he have a better shot at winning in Chicago? And what better way to maybe one final chess piece in his career that inches him closer, does not get him past Jordan, but what better chess piece than maybe winning a title in the United Center in Chicago? Um, Am I crazy? Would you like that? I know it's not possible, but would you be on board with that? I've never heard this before. I didn't even know it was a possibility. So this is an it amazing is. idea. It is. The money, I swear to God, the money would yeah. work. The money can work. You have to be in an NBA front office then. I don't know why the Bulls didn't hire you to be some consultant because that's a great idea. I'm fully on board with it. If the Bulls could do that, that'd be great because that's what they need. They need, hey, LeBron, DeRozan, Levine, Vucevic, you keep Bald even too, and, and Caruso. That is, that's one of the best, you know, five, 10 guys in the NBA. That's the best rotation in the NBA. We'd win 70 games, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Well, well, you know, if there's no healthy scratches, then yes. If they're actually going to play hard every game, then yes, they will win 70 games. 
we don't count the back-to-backs anymore, John. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> the, the, the healthy rest. <laughs> uh, let's get you out of here on this, man. Uh, great to see you, man. Really cool conversation. I think we covered we covered a wide swath of the menu. Went on a bit of a Cheesecake Factory uh, uh, trek through Chicago sports. But, man, uh, great having you, dude. Uh, truly, uh, you're doing great work, man. I, I'm always inspired, and I admire your hustle. Uh, you get great guests, man. You have great takes. And your following is growing, man. And congratulations on that. That's really awesome. So if you can, just tell my audience uh, how to follow you, your socials, your shows, man. Everything that they can do to check out your work, man. You're doing great stuff. And I want my audience to be able to check it out as well. Thank you so much, Joey. Uh, you can all follow me at John Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram at John Cool on Facebook. And then on check out Sports Talk Chicago. I'm on uh, Sunday through Thursday, 1030 to 11 p.m. on Nippon TV, channel 59.3 in the Chicagoland area and Roku across the country. And 1530 WCKG on weekends, 8 to 9 a.m. And then anytime, anywhere on YouTube. The YouTube following is growing. We're about 8,000 subscribers now. Uh, so feel free to subscribe and add to that content, um, add to that community. It's a huge community. And um, I love interacting with everybody on YouTube as well. Yeah, YouTube's coming back in a big way. I think in the next five years, their business model is starting to sort of funnel everything back oh, yeah. to YouTube. So good for you on that, my friend. Also, congratulations on your graduation, my friend. Uh, you know what I mean? Hats in the air, all that good stuff. We can't <laughs> see what to do next. And thanks so much for coming back on Bat in Chicago. Anytime, man. Anytime, Joey. Loved it. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago is presented by BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code BLEAV. That might come in handy this weekend with, I don't know, maybe March Madness, a college tournament of some kind that's been around for a very long time that people find very popular. So make sure you check that out. Um, thank you so much for watching and listening to this pod. we got plenty more great stuff coming the rest of the week. But until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.